the shit you love. The podcast of the series of the graphic novel of the album where I get to crap on about anything I like. Hello and welcome to Only the Shit You Love, the podcast. Do you want to know what is the shit I love? You. You I love. Even though you may not agree with me about everything I say here, I just want to fling that line out into the waters of discontent and say, you're a good person. You and me, we have some things in common. And let's celebrate that. What's wrong with me? Have I gone all soft in my old age? Possibly. But you know what? Someone's got to fucking say it. Because everyone else is trying to do the opposite. This episode of the web series features a song called What Lionel Richie Said. It's a song of incredulity about where we find ourselves. And where we find ourselves is a world where everything is us versus them. Sport, religion, left versus right, Sydney versus Melbourne, boomers versus millennials, men versus women, phonics versus whatever is the other method of teaching kids to read. My social media world versus yours. The episode features exactly the same person saying exactly the same things, but being reported on by two stereotypes. Same facts, two completely different conclusions. Us versus them. And I'm fucking sick of it. Imagine if we started from this position. What do we have in common? Let's figure out what that is, celebrate it, and go from there. Where can we intersect? As I once said to the barmaid. I know it's simplistic, but if we dropped us versus them from our agendas, I reckon the world would be unrecognisable. Us versus them seems to be ingrained in our psyches. It's like we still want to be in tribes, although for most people, tribes stopped happening, oh, I don't know, a few thousand years ago. And us versus them starts nice and early. Kids have a propensity for cruelty, which hopefully most of us grow out of. People who want to return to the innocence of childhood forget that when we were kids, we tended to pick on anyone who was different. Not us, them. It's the treehouse syndrome. You're standing there on the ground and you look up and there, in a fabulous high treehouse, way above you, are a bunch of kids playing Can I play up there too, you say? You have to say the password, say the treehouse kids. What's the password? Not telling. That's the treehouse kids. The treehouse kids are everywhere. They're the kids who are cooler than you. They're the groovers who are into the arseless chaps before you were. They're the grown-ups who make you feel shit at work because you didn't use the correct template. I have spent arguably wasted a whole lifetime's work trying, in vain, to get into that treehouse. The closer you get to that treehouse, the more you're going to delude yourself into thinking you too could play up there. Things would have been fine if I'd just hung around Springy. Springy. What can I tell you about Springy? Not as nice as Glen Waverley? Not as shit as Westall? 
15th stop on the Dandenong line and about a year back in time for every stop. Springy was Gavin Patterson, my under-11 footy teammate who spat before each syllable, and his dad who got in fistfights with other parents at the match. Springy was Anna Block, Zorbers. Springy was clanging railway boom gates and La Cucaracha car horns. One restaurant, Chinese naturally, but at least four airport-sized pubs where rockers and skinheads had apocryphal slugfests on the burnout blighted bitumen. I had nothing against Springy growing up. It took others to help me become self-conscious about it. One of our mates cracked onto a posh girl down at Phillip Island over the summer and somehow we stuck our foot in the door and started hanging out with her and her friends who went to Presbyterian Ladies College. Suddenly, we were going to parties with girls who lived in Turak, Baldwin, Ivanhoe. Girls who were younger, yet twice as worldly. Boys from Scotch, Melbourne Grammar, Wesley. A hole in their millimetre-perfect hedge, just wide enough for us to glimpse the treehouse. No password. The treehouse is always full of early adopters. Heard of them? They're people with attention deficit, who we vilified as kids, but now, as adults, award their own special marketing label and, especially if we're sales managers who quote Sun Tzu and Steve Jobs, flock around, waiting for nuggets of farted gold. Culture, music, food, technology, pants. Early adopters are ten steps ahead of you, buddy, and don't they let you know it. Thanks to Kate, who lived in Turak, I got to meet my first real live early adopter. Sean, Eugene and I pull up in Sean's beaten up people mover to Kate's palatial home. One of us probably thinks we're a chance with her, most likely. Except there's another rooster in the hen house when we get there. And I choose that stereotype very deliberately because you could almost see his chest feathers stick out when we were introduced. Actually, I might change this clumsy animal metaphor right now. He didn't so much remind you of a rooster. Rooster's too fluffy. Let's go with shark. See, just for a short period in her life, before she became a surgeon, Kate liked boys in bands, and this guy was in a band. Didn't he just smell blood and start circling when Kate told him we were too? What's your band called? He asked, almost taunting. Uh, tall stories. At which point, I imagine he thought, right, sounds like the kind of name you'd give your band if three months ago you still had long hair and were playing guitar solos. You see, this guy was a punk. He told us so. I guess his band was probably called The Fucksticks and he was Johnny Deadshit. What sort of music do you play? Came the next spat-out interrogation. Already feeling like losers, we perambulated around the soiled underpants of our answer. Oh, you know, um, cars, Beatles, Chicago, Steely Dan. Everyone's gone to the movies, now we're alone and dressed. Everyone's gone to the movies, now we're alone and dressed. Steely Dan. Well, that was it. 
off he went. Steely Dan, fucking dinosaur music, mate. Yesterday's news means nothing to the kids. It doesn't speak to us, all those pampered rock stars in their luxury hotels and ivory towers, totally out of touch with the street. Steely Dan, are you kidding? Haven't you heard the news? Your band must be shit. You should be playing punk. Punk is now. Punk is the future. Punk is all there is. The punks are going to leave you and your dinosaur mates for dead. It was quite the shark attack. Julie corrected, we skulked back in our people mover to Springy like we'd been sent to bed without our supper. This guy was Paul Janoskis, and he was an early adopter. I came to know this because the next time I saw him was months down the track after I'd had my punk conversion at some inner city party in Paran. Thanks to Kate and her friends, I now went to inner city parties. I was there minding my own business in my best Springvalian five steps behind attempt at punk couture when this weirdly jaunty carnivalesque music started playing. The dance floor cleared completely, except for two guys dressed unlike the rest of us in pork pie hats and overcoats who were doing manic dance steps that none of us had seen before. The song was Guns of Navarone. The music was called Scar and one of the rude boys I recognised. Different style, same shark-like demeanour. Paul Janoskis. I got into Scar in due course, of course. Late adopter, me. But the next time I saw Paul Janoskis, he'd had another complete makeover. I mean, complete. If Scar was different to punk, you could at least draw a line to it because they both represented the music of the street of disaffected working-class British youth. But the next wave reacted against that. New Romantics, Blitz Kids... They were glamorous, decadent, and most definitely upward aspiring. No hint of disaffection there. They re-deified Bowie and Roxy, and all of a sudden, it was cool to be funky. And here, in little old Melbourne town, we embraced the new funk. We had our very own tiny little new funk scene, revolving around a couple of clubs and bands like the as-yet-non-mainstream Hunters and Collectors and Bang, who would later beget Big Pig and I'm Talking. The new funk had a look Slicked hair, maybe a bit of eye makeup, offset by a macho white singlet. And the new funk was most certainly exclusive. Treehouse kids only. So who did I see one night in a club dressed as the embodiment of the new funk? Our very own shark in sheep's clothing, Paul Janoskis. That's three times now I'd stumbled along in his wake, reliably behind the curve, last to get the memo. I probably missed out his rockabilly and mod phases. Fast forward about five years and, 
No longer trying to be a minnow swimming with the fashion sharks, I had embraced my anti-zeitgeist status. That other band of mine was on the ascent, and it felt good to be, well, you know, me. And around about that time, I'd heard someone on Triple R raving about this band called Cattle Truck, like they were the new thing. Ah, the new thing. Don't you just love the new thing? So it was no surprise when it somehow came to my notice that the lead singer of this cattle truck band was none other than Paul Janoskis. My mind roamed. What could this new thing be? Something surprising, I imagined? Something that Paul would presumably give me a hairdryer lecture about? The new trad jazz, perhaps? Rococo punk? Cattle truck. On face value... It sounded like the sort of name you'd come up with if you were a conservative, slightly bluesy rock band. But the word had sinister, fascistic overtones. So I figured there had to be a twist here. Maybe they were a confronting sort of postmodernist Weimar cabaret. Then I heard Cattle Truck. Guess it is just one of those days They were a conservative, slightly bluesy rock band. Looks like the shark finally jumped one. The Treehouse Kids feature in key cameos throughout my life. They've always been there as a constant inspiration to me. And it's fair to say back in 1980, my band, the diffidently named Tall Stories, were craning our necks looking up at those treehouse kids, still no closer to getting the password. We're going to start this happy vibes right from the root. The two-year career of Tall Stories was a series of small disasters. Lots of bruises, cuts and sprains as we tried in vain to shin up the tree of coolness. We weren't that bad. We'd obviously come a long way from bad Thin Lizzy covers in a Springvale garage. Well, I mean, literally, we'd moved our shed location to St Kilda. But, figuratively too, we were sounding more like a real band. Which band was it? With four people pulling in different directions, you might get a Jackson Pollock canvas of colours, or in our case, a sort of nothingy grey. And our main songwriter was about to quit. Years later, I can understand why. Our folk singer bass player Greg was already taking his acoustic guitar with him everywhere he went, especially to parties, where he'd use it as a weapon. Pick a target girl, somehow find somewhere quiet, just the two of them, 
and loudly serenade her all night with his folk songs until eventually, to my utter despair, she'd go home with him. Apart from a propensity for pomposity and slightly misogynist laments about his ex-girlfriend, Greg was really quite advanced as a songwriter and way ahead of the rest of us. The trouble was, he wrote songs designed to sound like this. She's a Huge and I wanted them to sound like this. Huge was also chucking in a bit of this. And Sean on guitar was trying to sneak in a bit of this. For Greg, writing ponderous, dramatic songs about the human condition to be bellowed out emotionally to a room full of prospective female conquests, only to have the band speed them up beyond recognition and add vocal lines like, eh, oh, eh, must have been really fucking annoying. So he left, and most likely didn't regret it for a second. He started to get paid gigs at coffee houses like The Green Man and The Lantern, while Tall Stories... Well, we'd have been better off calling ourselves small disasters. We'd already met our Greg replacement, so at least that was a good thing. That happened many episodes ago on a night at the London Tavern in Caulfield when we met Jack and his mates in a band called Private Club. Together with Private Club and a band called Joysticks, who were posh boys who knew our posh girlfriends from Presbyterian Ladies College, no, not Paul Janoskis, Tall Stories decided to stage our own concert. We figured our three very different sets of friends would together make a crowd, and so we booked the imposing and stately Malvern Town Hall. It was me trying to be a genius rock entrepreneur again. Luckily no one remembered how that went last time. My idea, not a very good one, was to call the event The Great Gig in the Sky, after the Pink Floyd song. Not very punk of me. So the joysticks, being posh punks, insisted we replace it with a Clash song title. So the night became White Riot. Should have thought that one through. It was also a bad idea to mix our own glue and paste a poster on the wall of the ANZ Bank across the road from the Malvern Town Hall, which then took professionals hours to clean off and so enraged the bank owners that they complained to council management, who saw the title White Riot and presumably let their imaginations off the leash. So, on the day before the gig, after pre-selling tickets to heaps of kids, we were told that due to a garbage collector's strike, not sure how that had anything to do with anything, the gig was off. Lots of phone calls and refunds later, White Riot ended up White Whimper. Tonight at the Malvern Town Hall, and it was going to be run by three bands performing, Tall Stories, The Joysticks and The Private Club. Well, this concert has been cancelled due to the Malvern garbage strike. Malvern Town Hall is also on strike, and they were only told two days ago, so 
the people performing and who organised it are very, very sorry that this concert is not on. They, they have no control over what the strikes that are going on. So please forgive the fact that the concert's not on and spread the word if you can. Soon after White Whimper, Huge, who can be very persuasive, managed to convince Jack, the guitarist in Private Club, to join Tall Stories on bass. Why Jack thought it was a good idea to jump ship from the Titanic to the Hindenburg must come down to Eugene's supernova confidence. Jack was good for us, a great guitarist and singer who shared our silly sense of humour, which had been hitherto buried under Greg's portentous folk songs, but now started to emerge ever so slightly in self-mocking song coders. And even full songs like I Love You Ten, which was written entirely as sarcasm. Another good omen, Jack came from St Kilda. Hell, he'd even been a couple of years below Nick Cave at Caulfield Grammar. That ought to have given us a leg up towards the treehouse, and it seemed like maybe it did, because somehow our tape found its way to Dolores San Miguel, the legendary booker of St Kilda's famous punk venue, the Crystal Ballroom, along with a couple of other totems in the so-called little band scene. And we got ourselves a gig at the Exford Hotel in Melbourne's Chinatown. A real gig. Not some self-organised party. Not a cricket club barbecue or end of school concert. A gig in the gig guide. Yep, Jack was good for tall stories. But was tall stories good for Jack? Our Exford gig was supporting the Jetsons, the band that would become Hunters and Collectors. They were mainstays of this little band scene, quirky and arty post-punksters, with their quirky, arty following full of treehouse kids, and in-crash tall stories, with our very fast but still not very punk version of The Sound of Music. The gig went about as well as the Noble Park Youth Club. Sounded like they had the same sound guy too, now that I listened to it. 
The treehouse kids stood there and stared at us silently during our excruciating gaps between songs, just the sound of gum chewing and someone out the back washing up. Our nervous pre-song chatter got worse. Huge overshared, Sean contradicted him, I apologised. We talked over each other. We even told dad jokes. How's this for a song introduction to an audience of unamused punks? Suppose you haven't heard the joke about the leper who failed his driving test. What was the, uh, what was the answer to that one, Damon? Oh, he left his foot on the clutch. <laughs> we didn't get the treehouse password that night. The small disasters continued. One night, our cool little rehearsal shed behind Ackland Street burned down with all our equipment in it. Apparently, the homeless blokes had set fire to the lean-to and the flames got in through a crack in the window. We lost pretty much the lot. Incredibly, I salvaged my pearl drum kit. The orange fibreglass coating had melted off the shells, but the wood had survived. I had to spend weeks cleaning the oxidisation off the chrome bits, though. We played a New Year's Eve party, organised by a mate of Jack's. It promised to be a big one, which was just as well because we'd turned down Huge's cousin, whose New Year's Eve parties were always full of girls. We lugged gear all day in the 30 degree heat, and no one showed up. Well, okay, two couples came, separately, saw that no one was there, and got the fuck out. We played a hockey club end-of-season party at Duncan McKinnon Hall in Murrumbina, a place full of memories for me where I met my first girlfriend walking past the Merida College Sports Carnival, where I had my 21st, Damien Cowell's Pajama-Rama. The hockey club night didn't turn out so well. For some unknown reason, we decided to learn the entire Tommy Rock opera by The Who just for this night. Nobody showed up. Even deaf, dumb and blind Tommy could have seen that coming. Small Disasters We kept plugging away, God bless us. Got ourselves another great pub gig at Her Majesty's Hotel, otherwise known as Macy's, in Turak Road, South Yarra. One of the great pub rock venues where I'd seen everybody from Midnight Oil to John Cooper Clark. We were supporting the Riptides, who were a really big band from Brisbane, and they had the place suitably packed. This time, we were primed to impress a lean set with no silliness and no gaps between songs. Except Sean broke a string in the first song, didn't have a backup guitar and kept going out of tune. We were down to a three-piece, so the result was not pretty. A sound not unlike the fall, but unintentionally so. And the treehouse password got even further from our grasp. Speaking of the fall, I owned a few of their records by now, but I always had a fractious relationship with them. Mark E. Smith was probably the most compelling figure to come out of the whole punk new wave post-punk era, lyrics of fiercely inscrutable weirdness. But so obviously, let's face it, an unlikable man. And the clanging, tuneless monotony of their music, my brain liked it, but my body wanted a bit more out of life. Only the bits I love. The Fall. Fucking annoying, but still, those lyrics, 
Nobody's ever written like that. How about this for a stanza? Handed up under Adwick Bridge With some veterans from the US Civil War They were under Irish patronage Makes Nick Cave read like Chad Kroger. The moment where I decided I had to barrack for the fall came in 1982 when they played at the Crystal Ballroom, the very same place I mentioned earlier, the MCG of Melbourne Punk, right in the heart of druggy, call-girl central Fitzroy Street, a crumbling relic of a building with wobbly old balustrades and a ceiling that you could see buckling above you as the crowd bounced in the upstairs band room a place full of lacquered hair installations and painted-on sneers. Treehouse Ground Zero. When the fall walked on stage, the room was full of art-head fashion at its zenith. Mohawks, goths, pineheads, you name it. And here was the fall, looking like they were dressed by their mums. Mark E. Smith had a pullover on. A fucking pullover? And ill-fitting jeans and school shoes. You know those black, flat, fashionless school shoes kids used to wear in primary school? Barter Scouts? They looked like fucking Barter Scouts. Mark E. didn't speak to the audience once throughout the entire evening. Often stood with his back turned. Kept pulling a piece of paper out of his back pocket and consulting it like he was figuring out his grocery list for the morning. Melbourne's treehouse kids had spent all day getting ready to show the fall how cool they were, and Marky didn't give a fuck. I kind of loved him then. See you next week. You've been listening to Only the Shit You Love, the podcast. If you want to see the series or buy the music, go to campsite.bio forward slash Damien Cow DC. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>